Our first reading is from the prophet Isaiah in the 12th chapter. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading this evening from the letter to the Corinthians, the second letter in the fifth chapter. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of, for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise in honor of the gospel, and our gospel reading this evening from Luke's gospel in the 15th chapter. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And he, Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So 
But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead. and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead. and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated, and if well, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love which you have shown us, for the forgiveness which you have given us in Jesus. We pray now at this time that you would work by your Holy Spirit, remove distractions from our hearts and minds, open our ears to hear your word, and point us to Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. So parables like you just heard, are wonderful stories, right? Something we can wrap our heads around. And Jesus knew that when he told these things, he had to phrase certain heavenly mysteries and ways in which we could understand them so we could grasp them and grapple with them. And this particular parable is an absolutely beautiful one. And I'm sure when you heard it, you went, oh, yeah, 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 I've heard that one before. I know that one. And there's a danger to that because parables are beautiful. But if they become familiar, sometimes we tend to not listen to them quite as much. We tend to not pay attention to them quite as much. We start to take them for granted. And as we read them and you got scripture open, you're kind of cruising through, you're like, oh, I haven't read that, haven't read that, oh, I've read this before. Let me read every maybe fourth word, and I'm going to skim really quick. I already know what that one is, and I'm going to move over to this other thing. Well, how's the phrase go? Familiarity breeds contempt, Right? It can happen sometimes. Unintentionally, we can come across God's word and say, well, that's so familiar, I'm just going to move on. So we're going to stop, slow down, and walk through this parable a little bit. First off, this parable is actually in a set of parables. Okay? There's a few of them that Jesus is telling back to back. And he's been eating and dining with tax collectors and sinners people that were not worthy of having rabbis sit with them and eat. They were dirty. They were always wearing black in Rachel's example. They're sinners, right? Ones that would not be welcome into the Pharisees' households. They would not be considered clean or pure or whatever the case may be. And so to see Jesus as a rabbi sitting with them kind of rose the hair on the back of the Pharisees and scribes' heads, and they were trying to wrap their heads around how this seemingly holy man could spend time with those people. Okay? So Jesus, <laughs> just imagine a little smile on his face. Let me tell you a story. 
And the first one he told was a lot shorter than the one we just read. It was a parable of the lost sheep. You know the one where all the sheep are gathered together and the shepherd's there and he's counting them. One, two, three, four. And he gets to 99 and he goes, wait a minute. I had 100 sheep. There's 99 there. There's one missing. And so being a lavish and reckless kind of shepherd, he leaves the 99 and he goes out into the countryside to go find the one sheep that might be alive, might be dead, might have fallen off a cliff, might be stuck in a bush somewhere, but he knows that that sheep is so worth searching after that he has to go look for it. The one that's separated from all the others. Heads off and he finds it and he lifts it up and he puts it over his shoulders and he comes walking back into town. And he says, celebrate, I have found my sheep. And he brings it back into the fold and gathers them together and is full of joy. The next one is about a lady at her house. And as she was looking around at her house and looking where her little money pot was, she's counting coins and realizes that there is a lost coin there is a very valuable piece that would take care of her for days upon days and months upon months, and it's not there. So she upturns everything and moves everything around for this one lost thing, and she's sweeping and finally comes across it, and then she yells out to her neighbors, come, celebrate, this lost coin is found, let me share this joy with you. Come and be part of this celebration as everything is gathered together and in its place once again, the lost thing is found. And then Jesus gets to this parable. Again, oftentimes as we come across it in Scripture, when we get to the parable of the prodigal son, just by the title alone, the imagery runs into our mind, we know the story, and we just kind of flow right through it and sometimes miss a couple beautiful things. So as we sit in this story, and if I was to ask you to give me a definition of prodigal, you would probably all give me a definition based on this parable, unless you're an English major or write a lot and maybe use the word prodigal in daily usage, which I doubt. And you'd say, oh yeah, prodigal means someone who's gone away but has come back and is sorry for what they did. And you'd be right. Or you'd say prodigal is, a, is somebody who took a whole bunch of stuff and wasted it. And you'd be right. And we get both those things from this parable. A young man who goes to his father while his father is still alive and says, give me my portion of the inheritance, Dad. It doesn't really matter to me, our relationship right now. I know that one day you're going to die and you've got a whole bunch of wealth here at the house, so give me what's due for me, which as a younger son would be about one-third of the property, which means the older son would get two-thirds of the property. So the younger son gets the stuff, but see, the father didn't just give the younger son stuff. If you slow down and you read those, you see that the father divided his property amongst them. Father gave up everything. He took everything that was his and handed it over to his kids. He gave up his name, he gave up his property, he gave up his reputation, he gave up everything that was of his in his life and said this doesn't matter to me anymore i give it to you boys it's all yours everything and as one son sits out in the field and dutifully works and is obedient the other son gathers his stuff and heads off to vegas or atlantic city or miami beach or 
Phoenix. I don't know, anywhere where you would head off and go waste. I don't know, Phoenix is probably a bad example on that one. But you'd go and waste all of your things, you know, whatever it is. And you take those things and head off somewhere and end up using all of it. A lot quicker than maybe you thought. We look at that sun and we say, whew, well, that's a good lesson to learn. I don't want to ever do that. Except sometimes we do. Think of all the gifts that God gives us each day and how we take those gifts from time to time and abuse them. Whatever the gift may be, it may not be monetary. It might be a relationship. It might be time. Whether that time is short or long. But there's gifts that God gives to us every single day that we will take and Oftentimes, use them for good purposes, for the benefit of somebody else or to honor God, and then there's the times we don't. We find ourselves in the midst of those situations. We kind of fall down on our knees in kind of a stature of repentance, a lot like this younger son. This younger son who took everything away and squandered it, lavishly and recklessly and just used it all and then when hard times hit he had absolutely nothing and for this jewish young man to then go hire himself out as a servant and then to have to go feed pigs and then live with the pigs and want to eat what the pigs ate he is at the lowest of the lowest low and nobody is there for him so he thinks to himself self How many of my father's hired servants have everything that they need? I'm going to go back to dad and I'm going to say, I've sinned against you and heaven. Dad, that sounds good. I'll send it. Yeah, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. We'll get God first and and then dad. All right. Sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. See how humble I am, dad? No longer worthy to be called your son. Let me work it off. We can work out some kind of deal. Uh, maybe it's a certain amount of months or years. You gave me this much and I misused it. We'll tack on a little extra and I'll work off that amount of stuff and then you can welcome me back as your son. How's that sound, Dad? That's the plan, right? Again, those thoughts ever rolled through your mind? God, I am so sorry that I did this thing. If only you would not let anybody else know and the consequences for that would be hidden and swept under the rug, I'll do this thing. We start to deal with God. We start to make promises with God that sound good and they come from a well-intended place to show our sorrow, yet we're also still sinners and imperfect. And though we may hold up our end of the deal for a little while, it doesn't always end up that way. So as this son has gone off and squandered his things, wasted them away in a place, now it comes back wanting to be welcomed back into the household. It was interesting in my mind, the past couple of weeks I was listening uh, as we kind of wrap our heads around this lavish kind of living or reckless living or use of gifts and things. It's spring break time, right? For a lot of folks, 
in colleges and in schools and whatnot, it's spring break. And you would think where people normally go. When it's a little colder in some areas, they go to warmer places. So whether that's Mexico or the Caribbean or Florida, now Phoenix. You could go to Phoenix on spring break, I guess. But as you go to you know, places like that, if I were to ask you five, ten years ago, where's a place everybody goes in Florida? You'd probably say, oh, Daytona Beach. That's a place where everybody goes for spring break. Do you know, it was just in the last couple of years, they started instituting curfews and everything else, and they said, we don't want spring break down here anymore. Everybody is wrecking everything. And so everybody moved to Miami Beach. In the past couple of weeks, same thing's been happening. They start putting in curfews at midnight. They start saying, look, you guys are trashing hotel rooms and breaking windows, and stuff is not being honored at all anymore. So we would think, when this guy comes back to the house, we would want to imagine that that's the consequence that the father would lay down. In those settings, or in that mindset, we're right along with the older brother at that point. Because that's exactly what he was thinking. This son comes walking back to the house, right? And the older brother is kind of amazed at dad's reaction. So what was dad's reaction? Dad sitting up on a balcony, overlooking the horizon, right? He's given up everything. There's nothing left to his name anymore. It's all in his son's names. But he knows that there's a lost son, somebody who has been gone. He's longing to see him again. He's longing to have that relationship with him again. He knows his older son is not far away and he's doing fine, but the younger son is gone and it's breaking dad's heart. And so as he sits and looks, over the horizon as his son is in this far country, far away, and he sees this figure come walking down the path. And instead of standing there, waiting, with a stern look on his face and thinking about all the things he's going to tell his son, he runs down and runs down the path and he embraces him and grabs him and kisses him on the neck and he goes, you're back! I remember, the son had three things to say. Sinned against heaven and against you. No longer, to be worthy, no longer worthy to be called your son. And I'm going to work it off, dad. Hire me back. So the dad's there and the son's like, dad, dad, dad. I've sinned against heaven and against you. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Fine, fine, fine. Go get the fatted calf. Go kill the fatted calf. We are celebrating. We're having a party. You're back. Get the robes. Put a robe on him. Give him the sandals so he doesn't look like a servant anymore. Get the ring and put it on his finger so he can make financial decisions again. What? This guy that just wasted everything, you're going to give him the signature ring so he can actually make financial decisions for the family again and you're going to welcome him back in? See, that guy never got to say that third part of let me work it out for you. When we talk about prodigal, and we define it as those who are repentant and gone away and have come back and those who have wasted things and lavish and reckless living, let's not forget the dad could also be called a prodigal. Lavishly and recklessly giving of grace and mercy. Giving of everything that he had and what we would think of in a way that doesn't make any sense at all, a waste and an abuse of these things, yet it was for the benefit of his son. Just showering him with love and forgiveness. Giving him everything that he needed in that moment because he could see that he was absolutely broken by everything that he did. And the dad just says, welcome home, son. 
Let's go party. Let's go celebrate. Let's show how you're back in the family. What a beautiful reception. A lavish and reckless giving of grace. An older son sitting out on the outside hears everything going on. What's that? As the servants come out and they tell him with some excitement, and you can just imagine him kind of hands on his hips. No, that's not how we do this. There need to be consequences. There needs to be something for this guy to do because they, he just wasted so many things and there needs to be some kind of law set down so he knows what he did was wrong. In fact, even when he talks to his dad and his dad comes back out and he says, look, come celebrate. And the older brother says, this son of yours, doesn't even call him a brother, this son of yours wasted everything. You've never given me anything. And dad, I gave you two-thirds of my property. Everything that I have is yours. You're always with me. I'm here with you right now. Come, celebrate. What was lost is found. What was dead is alive. Your family and brother is back. Let's celebrate that. But the older brother couldn't. The different older brother that reacted very differently. In the midst of our sin and wasting of God's gifts, God sent his son Jesus into our flesh, into our place to take upon himself our sin so that we would be covered in the robes of his righteousness as he would hand that over as a free and gracious, lavish and reckless gift to us so that we would be brought in as family into that celebration into eternity, the celebration of the wedding feast of the Lamb, we hear it, right? This party where God's family and people are gathered together in his presence into a never-ending time. An older brother who did not look to us to say, here's the example I've set for you, now work it off and be dutiful and obedient. He just said, let me die for you, and rise for you, and hand over to you all of the things that the Father has given to me so that you would have them for your own self that you would be clothed in those robes of grace so that you would be set apart and holy as one not needing to work things off before God but one welcomed right into the family as those waters of baptism are poured over you. Everything that the Father had is given to you. A lavish and reckless giving of mercy and grace for your forgiveness. What a beautiful gift. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, you have lavishly and recklessly given us everything that's yours and you celebrate us. Be with us, Lord. Each day, as we see what you have given and give us hearts and hands and minds to share those with others so that all would know of your love for your creation, as you have reconciled us to yourself in Christ and made us yours. In Jesus' name, amen.